Thank you, worship team. I just want to highlight just a couple of things uh, as well that's in your bulletin there. Uh, one of the parents, there's an opportunity for a, a boy's day and a girl's day. And the encouragement, I guess, from me would be maybe consider even, you think beyond your own uh, children, is there friends of your kids that you could invite to that just to make a connection and and uh, help encourage them as well? So look at that announcement. And, and the second one would be this week. Uh, Jim Azure is going to be doing a picnic in the park over at Toyota. There you go. I was going to say Toyota. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, pray for that event. We put it in the newspaper, and it's just a way to try to reach uh, some people. And if you want to maybe invite somebody and want to head over that day on Thursday, that'd be great. And uh, so be praying for that, that, that we might be able to just maybe make a connection with a few people as well. Today comes... We come to the end of the last Sunday in terms of this title of the series, Breaking the Chains of Family Baggage. And just a reminder here that all of you come with different size suitcases. And uh, I was teasing that this is mine, this is Deanna's, but really it's, it's really the other way around. And that all of us have baggage when it comes to our family. It's inevitable. And I want to put the verse on the screen, really, how the, where this theme uh, series has come out of. Exodus chapter 34. Look how it reads from the New Living Translation today. The sins of the parents are laid upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. Everyone has baggage. Now, I have a little cartoon here to begin with. I'll put this on the screen to see if you can read it. Emotional baggage claim at the airport. I'll get yours if you can carry your mother's. Um, you may want to elbow somebody next to you at that point. But isn't that true? None of us can escape the issue. The Bible makes it very clear that there's a cascading effect on the family. Sin and poor parenting is never done in isolation. Our families of origin can mark us for, on one end it can be really good, on the other side it can leave emotional scars and pain and wounds. Now to begin with, a little illustration, I used, I, I just bought a, a used small car, and it is a Toyota, uh, that's where it came from there. Uh, the purpose is just to get some really good gas mileage, we do a little bit of driving, and I get over 40, so I'm pretty happy with that. It is a straight stick though, generally you have to get do that to get better mileage, but I grew up in cars that had straight stick. Just weren't a lot of automatics back then. Once in a while we had it. But I actually grew up with the first car that I really was driving around kind of in the teenage years was a Studebaker. And we can put that maybe on the screen here, Nancy. You want to put, are we, there we go. Ours was cream yellow. And uh, it was a terrible car. It, it didn't start well. And, uh, but it was a stick, a three-speed. Now, once in a while... My sister would let me use her new Chevy Malibu, and that was a 350, three-speed. And it was really fun because it had some get-up-and-go. And you could put some serious rubber on, on the tar if you wanted to do that. 
Now, that is one of the generational positive things, Dad. You should be teaching your kids to just put a little rubber on. Uh, you can, Kids, if you know what that means, you can ask your dad what that is. Um, but it's this idea that three speeds, and you shift from first to second to third. And sometimes you need to accelerate really fast. But that, those gears and the shifting really applies as we end the series here this morning. Today is about putting it in third gear and stepping on the gas and moving forward and putting some miles on and moving away from our baggage. But let me remind you for review, first gear is really the heart of it is forgiveness. It starts in first. You don't start a car in second and third gear. Forgiveness is the beginning point, and you can go back and listen online if you want to understand what that's about. But second gear, last week, looking at Joseph, and he, he came to a place where he wasn't letting the past impact where he went. He came from some very poor parenting and brothers who literally sold them to, into slavery. And he heads off to Egypt, but somewhere along the line, he trusted and he walked with God and he let the baggage go. But today, third gear, moving forward faster. And it has three concepts here this morning. They all fit together and they must all happen to go to a different place. But to begin with, I want to put a text on the screen. It rich, it's so rich, and it applies to here so well. And you might want to underline it in your Bibles. It's such a powerful verse. And now the context of this, Philippians 3, is that he's writing to a church. These people are persecuted. The church is struggling. Everybody's against them in one sense. And and Paul writes and says, count it all joy. There's this theme of joy all the way through. But look how he writes it here, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Let me jump into the outline right away. If you're following along in the sermon outline there, number one, shifting into third gear. Here's where it begins. We have to make a decision to intellectually and emotionally leave the negative past. Did you catch the phrase, forgetting what's behind? See, the hurt and the scars have to become smaller and smaller and smaller in that rearview mirror. This is about an intellectual and an emotional decision to move forward as well as inviting the Holy Spirit to come us, come within us and, and give us the power to do it. But here's where I need to introduce you to a principle that we need to understand in terms of really letting go. And it comes out of Genesis chapter 2. And I, I use this passage actually in premarital all the time. And, and look what it reads here. 2 verse 23. Then the man said, 
This is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called the woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this idea of leaving, it, it, it says, he's speaking yet to Adam, but it's also husband and wife are to leave father and mother. But we need to catch here something that's very important because that word leave is very strong. It is a very intense word. See, I think in marriage, we tend to think of it this way. Kind of grab our spouse, walk around, you know, go the yellow brick road, and we kind of, yeah, bye, Mom and Dad. We're going to start something new here. But leaving and cleaving, the King James word leaving, it's not casual. The idea is very intentional. It's cutting an emotional or, or chains from the parents. Matter of fact, it's fair to translate that word this way. A man should abandon his father and mother and be welded to his wife. That is a fair translation. Now, what does it mean here? This was penned by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But God intended something here, is that when a marriage occurs, that there is a new and distinct family. It's just not folding into a family. It's creating something new, distinct. And this is a principle that at times strikes fear into the hearts of some parents. What do you mean, Ken? My baby's leaving me and abandoning me. My life will have no purpose without my kids. And parents, I would say this. If your purpose in life is your kids, it is not biblical. And realize this, one can be loving, loving parents and still have emotionally unhealthy cords that interfere with what God wants to become a new family that's distinct, a new creation, a new family. See, the belief for me to live is my kids and my grandkids. That is wrong. Our children are not the summary of the kingdom of God. You may try to convince yourselves of that, but the Bible does not communicate that. And when I do premarital, I actually work with them, with a young couple, to go, what are the emotional chains that are attached to mom and dad and their families of origin and other issues, and what's going to impact their marriage? There's an illustration years ago. I was working with a couple, and a guy came in first, and the marriage was hurting. They'd only been married for about six months or so. And they both had previous marriages, and they had met actually online. And they were, so they were kind of, you know, distance dating, and they got married. It was out of state. But as we entered into this conversation, it was very quickly, it came up that there was, this marriage was littered with family dynamics. His wife was chained to her family. Now, she was in her mid-40s. And I asked the guy, 
when was the first time that you sensed that there was an unhealthy relationship between your new wife and the mom? And he said this, well, the day that we backed out of the driveway to drive back to Minnesota, her mother threw herself on the hood and started crying, don't leave, don't leave. True story. But it even doesn't have to be that extreme. Realize that marriages are impacted by our families of origin. And that application of Genesis 2, the principle of leaving and cleaving, it means this, your marriage and its health takes precedence over your parents and your extended family. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul writes about the Christ in the church, he does not say of the illustration that somehow the extended family and this whole clan represents Christ in the church. No, he says marriage represents Christ in the church. Making a decision to create a higher priority for your marriage and for your children is biblical. It's leaving and cleaving. So your first priority is to help your kids and your spouse love God with all their hearts, souls, and minds. It does not mean, though, this, that you don't honor your mom and dad. That's still a requirement. Now, realize some parents don't want the breaking of that cord. And you may have to figure out what are the boundaries that need to be put in place. And emotionally, you have the right to create those structures that make your family distinct. You catch that. And do mom and dads like it? The answer is no. May they try to manipulate you? Yes. But if you're married, here's what I would do. You need to talk to each other and you must come into agreement of what it means to cut those cords if they're there and what the relationship looks like. So for my son and my daughter, we've talk, I've talked to them about this. They have a right to determine what the relationship between their family and Deanna and I actually looks like. We don't determine that right because they are distinct. They set the tone of how they will be involved with us. Do you catch that understanding? Now, I'll admit I've tried to sometimes break into their relationship, and it was wrong. I had to actually ask for forgiveness one time. I was just learning this principle myself. But a decision has to be made, an emotional one, an intellectual one. And you know, one of the things you made, to do, made need to do is actually write it down, put it on a piece of paper, type it up, sign it, date it, notarize it, and put it in a picture frame on the wall if you need, if you need a reminder of that. But when parents look to foster emotional ties back to them, they're actually getting in the way of what God wants for the marriage, a new family. Parents, I believe that there is a kingdom calling for our children that is bigger than us. And we got to remember that. Our children need to be able to explore and pursue that calling. 
See, when adults continue to be dependent on the family of origin for their emotional well-being, and if they continue to look to mom and dad for approval and affirmation instead of their dynamic new family, if you continue to make the, the extended family the primary community instead of your own family, you will never move forward. You're going to stay stuck. Now, i, I got to point one other nuance here out. Because some of you have baggage and wounds that had nothing to do with your moms and your dads. And, and can I submit to you that there also needs to be a decision made at that point, really to trust God, to take steps, to leave the past intentionally. You may need to work and understand, and actually maybe ahead to a Christian counselor, just to understand, for example, if there's been sexual abuse. To go, what are the pieces? What are the, what's the impact of that? Because there's some unique things. Uh, there's a support group over at the assemblies this fall. It's called Unbroken, Repaired with God would be an option for you maybe to jump into that support group. This book here, by the way, we have a few more to sell here, Breaking the Cycle of Hurtful Family Experiences. The last half of the book would apply to you directly in terms of what it means to trust God, move forward toward him as well. But make a decision as well. And making that decision allows you to put your foot down on the gas and start driving faster away. But there's a second decision you got to have that needs to take place as well. Number two, you must decide and move toward taking personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. What I mean is this. Some of us are very quick to get stuck and continue to blame mom and dad for every wrong that takes place in our lives. Every mistake we miss we make, the failures that we experience, understand the failures and the things that we do, it rests with us. We own it. We own our own lives, the sin, the responses to what they're doing. We still own it. And you must assume that God can give you the strength to own what is yours. Matter of fact, let me put Hebrews 12 back on the screen again. Now, we've used this in the past. Look what it reads. We have all these great people around us as examples. Their lives tell us what faith means. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We should remove from our lives. Now, who's, that's not somebody else removing. That's us doing the work. Anything that would slow us down. And the sin that so often makes us fall, we are responsible for doing that kind of work. But we must never stop looking to Jesus. He's the leader of our faith. He's the one who makes our faith complete. See, this is about a decision to stop blaming others for the place where we're in. And I think this, we have a culture right now who is trapped in victimization. We want it to be everyone else's problems. We want it to be our parents. We want it to be the teachers at school. We, we want it to have you know the bad coaches that are out there. It's unfair. I don't know if there's ever been a place in our culture, at least in my lifetime, where victimization is such so prevalent in our society. Now, are there victims? Yes, real victims. People do bad things. 
But what is true? Understand this. We must understand a real worldview, a biblical worldview. And that's this. We live in a world that's filled with depravity, filled with evil people. We, I, I, I'm just amazed at when you listen to the news how people this are, they think that they can create this utopia where everything is going to go smooth. And I go, have you read your Bibles? Do you understand the depravity of mankind? We live in a fallen world. Jeremiah 17.9, remember the verse, you know this verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? See, last week, uh, looking at Joseph, somewhere along the line, he drew a line in the sand and he goes, I'm not going to be chained to my dad's passivity. I'm not going to be chained to what my brothers did to me. And when Joseph, when he holds his son for the first time, when he became a father, do you remember his words? Let me put them on the screen for you. God has made me forget all my troubles. And everyone in my family's family, he chose not to become a victim. He trusted God bigger than revenge. He trusted God to move away from self-pity. And if we don't personally own our own stuff, we will never break the chains of family baggage. But there's a third element here this morning that i got to go down as well, that we must begin to do. Number three for your notes, I said it this way. We need to discover a God-sized vision for your family, for our families, and take steps to build that vision. A God-sized vision. Look at the passage. Let me put Philippians 3 on the screen again. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Paul is saying he's working to let the past go, but do you, do you realize Paul's past and really what it is? Do you know that he contributed to the death of many Christians? That if he was, if you pulled him into a court of law at this point, he actually could be convicted of an accomplice to murder. He held the coats as Stephen was stoned. He went after Christians. That was his life until God interrupted him, stopped him, Jesus goes, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Stop it. But see, here's the dilemma. Too many people fail to have a God-sized vision. See, what is the goal? What is the vision, the purpose? I, I think this, too many people default to this. Jesus wants me, my, my family to live a nice Christian life. Uh, I'll be frank, it's the message of Joel Osteen. God wants to be happy and successful. And I go, is that the best that we can come up with for a vision for our lives? Is real meaning and purpose of our lives about just happiness and being successful? I go, we must stop and ask, what is the vision that God wants for my marriage, 
my family. If you're not married, you're single. What does he want for your life? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, the goal is more than just to survive in this world and be happy. The goal is, is more than just to earn enough with a happy, have a happy retirement. The goal must be more than just move close enough to the kids and I can be a nice grandpa or grandma. See, Paul says, I'm pressing on toward the goal. Is that what he envisioned, a nice Christian life? Now, listen, I'm not against living close to my children. I wish I could live closer. But if we have no God-sized vision for our lives, something is missing. Our God is a big God. And he wants a big vision for our lives. And that includes if you're in middle school, high school, single, college, that's for all of us here. See, over the years, I think we've lost that identity. That God wants something more for us. We're satisfied with the average. You know, over the years, God has provided lots of opportunities with working with marriages and families. And uh, a while back, I actually counted up the number of marriages that I've worked with that have had affairs. And, And it's over 25 now. Some made it, turned around, some divorced. Um, I actually had the opportunity to redo wedding vows with people in some of those instance, instances. And I, but I can tell you this, there's a consistent missing piece when you begin to open the door of those marriages. Those marriages did not really understand a biblical marriage. Maybe to say it different, they had no God-sized vision for a Christ-centered marriage. Now, some of them thought they did, but when you dug into it a little bit, they were aiming for the wrong thing. So in this series, looking to break patterns, what is the vision for something different? What's your goal? Do you catch the intensity of this passage? I press on toward the goal. It's an athletic term of straining hard, working hard. The goal is pursued. It's in third gear. Man, you're punching that pedal down. And you get going. You're looking to lay some rubber down. See, pressing on is not some walk in the park. You know, I'm just going to walk by faith and I'm going to repeat some Christianese phrases. Just let go and let God. I'll tell you what, if you don't have a vision and you say that, you're going to end up in the same place. The same place. See, what is your God-sized vision for your marriage, your family, for your future? If you're married, do you have you, have you ever had a discussion with your spouse? Or, or is pride keeping you in the way of what you want? Is fear. One or both can have it. Have you ever actually evaluated your marriage to see, is it a great biblical marriage? Or do you have an average marriage that you think is great? Or what if you have a poor marriage that you think is average? I I would say it this way. Our kids do not need models of average marriages in our culture. But 
how about parenting? You want to break the patterns of family sin sweeping over our children, impacting our children and grandchildren? What is your goal as a parent? You know, if I give you a, a piece of paper and I said this, list the top five goals for your children that you have as a parent, what would you say? Could you come up with five immediately just like that? I would say this, if, if within the top five, the phrase in there says this, I want my kids to be happy, you probably don't have a Christ-centered vision for your kids. See, having a new vision gives the opportunity to bring something brand new into existence. It creates forward thinking. It's about the marriages we can have. It's about the families we can make. It's about, about the homes we can build. It's about the memories we can have. It's about the love we can share with a family. It's about the patience and grace we can give to our families. It's about the tenderness and the gentleness that we can give as a gift. See, the way forward is to stop having it be about our families of origin. It has to begin of creating something, a move away from the origin to originating something new. Same word, origin, families of origin, but you understand this. Genesis 2, you create something new, different, a new vision with a creative dynamic that's looking and moving forward. And you realize when that begins to happen, when you press on toward a new vision, the scars and the stuff in the past, they just begin to fade away. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. So my challenge to you today, to press down as you punch into third gear, make a decision, Leave it on the past. You can leave an honor. You can still do it. Own your own stuff. It starts with you. There needs to be an expiration date with us looking in the past and letting it go. That expiration date probably needs to be Honestly, when we leave home. But three, create a new vision. Look forward. Study. Read a marriage book. Read a parenting book. See, learn what an effective father and mother does. Don't just assume it comes naturally. Have a new vision. But we got to work at it. And we need to examine and evaluate so we can see, is our vision a God-sized vision for a marriage, for a family? But let me close. I want to put Hebrews 12 on the screen again. Just again, one last reminder. As we do those three things, look how it reads again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. But look at the rest of this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
Because of the joy, here's the example, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He put it in the past. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. And look at the, our, our, a step here for us. Think of all the hostility he endured from the sinful people. Ponder what Jesus went through. Why do we do that? Why do we keep coming back to the gospel and what he did? Because of this. Look at the next line. Then you won't become weary and give up. Folks, as we keep looking to Jesus, he gives us strength. He gives us power. He gives us a new vision. And he keeps us strengthened so we don't get weary and give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus this week. Let's stand and pray. Father, you want to give us a new vision of what moving away from our families of origin, especially those that struggle deeply with it. But help us to examine and go, what is our vision? Propel us to something new that you would want in our lives. Something beautiful. Something great. Father, also, would you just remind us through your spirit, draw us to yourself, that we would keep our eyes fixed on your son. That as we walk in this world, when we hit those moments of discouragement, as we fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, it keeps us from becoming burdened and, and weighted down. It gives us strength. It gives us hope. So, Father, work in us. Set us free from the chains and the past, but create a new vision within us. So we give you thanks for this series. We, th we give you thanks just for today for being our Heavenly Father who cares for us and who gave us our son, your Son, Jesus. Thank you. These things we pray now in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, would you just introduce, have a great week. Follow Jesus this week.